Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa buddhang damang sanghang namasami. This is the first talk of the Rains Retreat, 2013. And uh, for those of you especially who are staying the whole uh, three months or most of it, uh, welcome to this retreat. Uh, as you would have found out by now, that this is a very peaceful place. Uh, it's only human beings make the noise. There's no animals make noise. Uh, there's no, not many cars, no aircraft overhead. There's no music. Just people noise, that's all. So it is a very conducive place to developing what we specialize in here during the range retreat, our meditation. Uh, each one of you has uh, kept your precepts very well. That's why you're here. Remember, that's the foundation of meditation. It's okay to teach you know, how to watch the breath or how to let go, but if you haven't got a good foundation in virtue, then it just doesn't work. So that foundation of virtue is very easy to understand. Uh, you may, doesn't matter how many precepts you have, it is basically never harming yourself, never harming another person, restraining your bodily actions and restraining your speech as well. So you don't speak unless you really have to. So as uh, one person once said, if you can improve upon the silence, then speak. And if there's some reason, then okay, you can speak. But otherwise, try and develop a sense of quietness and peace. And this evening was the first evening when we had uh, tea up in the dining area when it was just myself and the attendant, and it was so peaceful up there. You just really notice a difference when it was just uh, a couple of people up there sitting quietly instead of just, you know, the, you have to call it the gaggle of many monks with many conversations. It's good fellowship, but it's so much nicer being peaceful. So during this range retreat, please make use of the opportunity, whether you're staying over here or you're staying over in Ajana Grove, to make use of the opportunity for developing a very beautiful uh, virtue and a lot of restraint. Uh, the other thing which I always emphasize as a foundation in meditation is just all your accumulated good karma. So those of you who are doing services, you know, here in Bodhinyana or in Jhana Grove, whatever it is, whether it's just sweeping or you know, helping doing a bit of landscaping or just uh, cleaning the toilets, whatever duties you are, please never think of those as something to get out of the way so you can meditate later. That is not how this works. These services, if done with a very pure mind, a mind of giving, a mind of service, a mind of compassion, empower your mind so that when you sit, you have extra energy. And I don't mean like the energy you get from a cup of coffee. I'm talking about the energy which you get from just good behavior, kindness, compassion, service. That does energize you. But I've talked much about the power of service and also the virtue, which, you know, maybe you not be perfect, but you're more than good enough. This is a very virtuous monastery, compassionate, peaceful, warm, 
which many of you know whenever you come here, and probably, and I imagine the same over in Dharmasala. I don't go over there much, but I'm sure that it's a very beautiful place too. So you have all the supporting conditions. And now, obviously, the next stage of one's practice has to be the meditation. And of course, that is really the most difficult part of the Buddhist practice. And many of you know it sounds so easy, but to actually to do it is very difficult because if anything is the heart of the Eightfold Path, the thing which really makes a difference, it is the ability to make the mind still and to enjoy the peace inside rather than having to go out with the activity and noise and the sensual delights outside of you. So we're learning how to develop this beautiful, peaceful, joyful mind, which has huge amounts of benefits. And of course, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, when people sit down and they try and meditate, they've got aches in their body, they've got coughs, they may have low energy, and they have all these thoughts which go on in the mind, which people find very difficult to stop and control. And so for this first talk of this Rains Retreat, I wanted to just focus on how to actually to get those first stages of meditation completed so that one can really get a bit of peace and joy in one's meditation practice. Because <coughs> until one gets to that stage where one's sitting down and enjoying it, it's so difficult and frustrating to actually to sit down there day after day when you, know, you just get more and more thoughts, more and more fantasies, just more and more headaches, and just, what the heck am I doing this for? And that means you just go at, uh, a lot of times it's, it wouldn't be as bad if you just bothered yourself, but you go and bother other people as well. And of course it means you're missing out on the most important and beautiful part of monastic life, you know, the peace of mind within. So this afternoon when I was meditating, I was just trying to get my head around just why is it that people just cannot sort of let go of those thoughts in their mind? you know, which stops them sitting for hours. And I'm just, just reflecting on just, because a lot of times I just reflect on the higher stages of meditation, but I wanted to really get back into the, the beginnings of meditation for the very first talk. And just basically looking at how I meditate. And of course, you know that probably of all the monks in this monastery, I have more responsibilities and duty than, duties than any of you. So as far as the work is concerned and my responsibilities and duties, you know, I don't think I have the most, and I think that's fair enough to say that. But nevertheless, you know, when I start meditating, yeah, there's all these thoughts of what I have to do tomorrow, what I did this morning. But it's amazing just how you let these go and how you can be free of them. And the basic method which I use is what I keep telling each one of you every time, it's just to wait and be patient and just let it happen. And just maybe it takes, depending on how busy you are, an hour, an hour and a half, and soon you get still and peaceful. And sometimes it's just a case of enduring, which is the first thing I have to say, that if you don't sit long enough, if you don't sit many times enough, you haven't got a chance of breaking through to the peace and stillness. It does take a little bit of endurance of sitting down and going through frustration, boredom, worrying about oh, these thoughts going on, these fantasies are happening, and this is a waste of time. No, keep putting the time in. Because 
basically that's the first thing which really works. You know, the time you put into your meditation. And even though you think you're hopeless, you do get more and more peaceful every time, believe it or not. Because I understand the nature of the human mind, because I've been meditating with it for such a long time. That's my profession, that's my skill more than anything else. And I do know that just this mind is, it depends on the perception you have of this mind. And if you look upon this mind in the right way, you can understand how it works. And that simile which I love to use is the simile of a lake. My mind is a lake, okay? And it has waves on the surface. And all I know just by nature, by the laws of science, that as long as I leave that lake alone, the waves have to get less and less and less and less until they become still enough that the lake is reasonably peaceful. And you know, it's quite obvious if I've been working very hard, I've been running around trying to look after people, answering telephone calls, dealing with crises, of course when I close my eyes my waves will be very, very heavy and very big and fast. That's just nature, nothing to do with me. And that's why that the more peaceful you can be in this place, the less you can do, rather than the more you can do, the less waves you'll have on the lake when you begin to meditate. Your mind will be a little bit more peaceful, so it won't take you so long. But a lot of us haven't got any choice. You know, we have to go around doing things for other people, especially the senior monks, or some of the anagogues, you've know, got things to do. You know, driving monks around, or, you know, some of the ties to the lay, the lay world, you know, your cat to look after, or whatever else it is. So sometimes we do have these things come up. These all makes waves on the surface, but all you need to do is just to leave them alone. To have this ability just to wait. And yes, when you first have thoughts, you do tend to get involved in them. But you just keep calm, be patient, and they do tend to disappear by themselves. And then you get to that stage where you are mindful enough, you can actually see what the, the mind is doing. You know, at first the mindfulness isn't strong enough to really know what you're up to, which is why the thoughts keep on going on, which is why to see emotions keep being strong inside you. you know, your awareness isn't strong enough yet. Awareness is not something you can will and say, now I am going to be mindful. Mindfulness is something which you develop. And you don't just develop it day by day. You develop it from the time you sit down on your chair or on your cushion to meditate and develop it enough to be able to have this sense of being an overseer which can actually stop yourself getting involved in these thoughts and fantasies and dreams. And also strong enough that it's a happy mindfulness. This is how it works when you sit long enough you get more and more still. You have to because it's even if you're thinking, it's much less of a disturbance than when you're up doing things, talking, writing, on the computer, working, sweeping, just even sitting and bearing with the boring mind. It's still far less activity, which means if you just sit there long enough, your mind is going to settle down. 
until it's mindful enough, you can see what's going on. <coughs> and of course, you've always heard me say that when the mindfulness gets strong enough, it gets happy mindfulness. It's just this basic law of the mind, the less you do, the more energy goes into mindfulness, it brightens up, it becomes strong, and that energy is experienced as happiness, as pity sukha. That's all that pity sukha is, just energized mindfulness. So not only are you aware, but you're happy with what you're aware of. And I've always called that the pivot point in meditation because once you get to that happy mindfulness, you love meditating. You like sitting. It's joyful. And when you have that happy mindfulness, whatever you look at is beautiful. So you can look at your body, you look at your mind, you can look at, as I told you before, the lump of shit in the toilet. It all looks beautiful. It's amazing. And that is that pivot point of meditation which I like to get everybody on this retreat uh, arriving at as early as possible. And you can sit there, you know, and when you first meditate, you won't have that happy mindfulness. I don't have happy mindfulness, first of all. I've got to wait until the waves in my mind just calm down. That is the simile which I use. You know, let it calm down because then I know exactly what I'm doing. I know why, you know, you can't do it by an act of will. I know why you have to wait, why it takes time. You just have to sit there as comfortably as you possibly can and wait for the mind to settle down. It does it according to its own time, according to its own nature. And I don't care how long it takes, it's well worth it. You've got nothing else if you're committed to this path, but you've got to get there. And after a while, the mindfulness is strong, and it's also joyful. And once it gets joyful, it's a joy which is, keeps you meditating, having a good time, and you can use that to get into the deeper meditations, as I'll explain later on during this retreat. The first of all, it's just meditating enough. And if you can't sit meditation, you walk meditation. If you can't walk meditation, lay down meditation. Now, because I've got a bad knee, as many of you have seen, just a temporary injury, please don't get me any medicines. <laughs> Whenever I say I've got anything wrong, you get all these medicines and people say, oh, I can fix this for you. I've got this amazing sort of acupuncture, homeopathy, Ayurvedic medicine, Reiki, whatever else, please leave me alone. <laughs> it will heal by itself as it has before. But, you know, so I... You know, I would have been walking meditation this afternoon, so I had to think of another way to actually to meditate. So I did lying down meditation, just relaxing my body, just being here. And that was very, very nice. And of course, after a while, two and a half hours of meditation this afternoon, just sitting there, getting the beautiful mindfulness and joy. And one of the nice things I noticed this afternoon was I was just meditating there, the joy started coming up, just meditating. I've been very busy, as you all know. And then just looked at my knee and it wasn't hurting. It was the only time, I think, in the last three days where I could look at my knee and there was no pain there at all, no hurt at all. It's back again now, but this is the power of mindfulness and joy. So you know, there's no problem there with the body. It's such a wonderful state to get into and to know how to get into that state. Not only good for your health, it creates you a lot of joy, a lot of energy, it empowers your monastic life so 
This is actually how it works. This is the Rolls-Royce method. Doing nothing, just waiting, being patient, having that <coughs> that simile, that idea of what you're doing. Most people have the paradigm, the simile that you know their mind is something which is like a slave, which they have to control and they have to make silent. And of course, you know that paradigm is faulty. The mind does not belong to you. It's not me, not mine, not a self. And you can see why it does not work when you try and force the mind to be still. For me, I just let it be still. That's my paradigm. That's how I imagine the mind to be when I start meditating. It's my lake. Yeah, it's been agitated for all the rushing around which I'm doing. Now I've just got to leave it alone and wait. And of course, now I have to accept whatever happens. Yeah, you're going to be thinking about all sorts of things. But I let it be. And I let my mind think. I let it sort of, you know, remember what was happening. I let it sort of plan what I'm going to do tomorrow. I let it be. And I know that when I calm down, I don't fight anything. I know that those waves get less and less, and soon those thoughts of future and past get so soft, it's easy just to calm them down, let them go. And the mindfulness, because I'm not doing anything, I'm not fighting, the mindfulness gets empowered. You get joy coming up. And once the joy comes up, I'm just not interested in thinking anymore. Just the joy, the peace is much more delightful. And you have fun in your meditation, which is brilliant to do. So that I can still do that even though I'm really busy or you know got a sore or a knee or whatever. It's brilliant to, to know that resource which you can get in monastic life. Because I put the hours in every year when I'm, when I'm being a monk. And it's not the case you were born with these skills. You develop these skills, okay? And every one of you can do that. But if you know that doesn't work, then sometimes we do all these little skillful means. You know, when I started that, I should I do that old skillful means of just you know the two shopping bags. The bag in the left hand is my past. The bag in the right is my future. You probably heard me do that many, many times in all the talks, which many of you have heard so many times. And those shopping bags, yeah, it sort of works okay, but to me it's just too much work. It's more agitating my mind. And I've just been talking to people just at Nolamara over the last uh, the weekend. People have difficulty stopping thinking. I said, put a space between you and the thoughts. Regard your thoughts just like the the stuff of a movie on the screen, and you're in the seat, you know, in the cinema or in the the lounge room. You're in the seat, and the stuff on the screen. That's all it is. It's just a movie. And you know, I was telling people just how weird it was. Remember, in my past, when I used to go to movies, you know, just how in a horror movie, there'd always be somebody who shout out, "Hey, look behind you." The monster's coming up. You know, even though there was a movie, it was just the same as I've seen people watching, say, football on the TV. Kick it, you stupid idiot! And they shout at the TV. Okay, you know, that, look, the game is being played in the other side of the world, and they can't hear you. <laughs> you know, and, and so, so that TV has got no, no microphone to convey your instructions to the players on the pitch. And you can see what happens, you get involved you know, in the action, you get entangled in it is the best word. 
And that's a wonderful simile of why we get entangled in the thoughts and emotions which go through our mind when we sit down and meditate. You know, it's just like in that movie, it's like we're inside the movie. You know, like we, you know, the, the, we're the hero, you know, battling the aliens. Or we're the, the, the football player about to kick the final goal which is going to win the tournament. You know, we, we like to get involved and entangled in those fantasies on the, on the TV or in the movies. And that's so similar to why we get entangled with the thoughts and the fantasies, the, the past and future. And I've often wondered, why do, why do people get involved in those, those thoughts? You know, they're just totally useless, you know that. But sometimes that you know, when we get entangled in those, it gives us a sense of importance, a sense that we're doing something. Remember, when you're doing something, that's when you really feel you are somebody. And as one person said, I forget who it was, they said they have all these fantasies and they're always the hero in the fantasy. If you want to stop the fantasies, don't be the hero. Be the fall guy. Be the idiot. Be the one who doesn't get the girl. Be the one who doesn't sort of score the goal. Be the one who gets sent off for foul play or whatever. That will stop the fantasies. <laughs> So don't be the hero, because we get involved and we put all these emotions into these thoughts. And again, to take half of those emotions helps. You know, a lot of times uh, we have skillful means in meditation. It's just uh, giving you a couple of skillful means, you know, of just uh, uh, shopping bags, past and future, because most of your thoughts is about the past and future, you know, Put those shopping bags down. In the present moment, you know, there's nothing much you can think about. So even trying to force yourself into the present moment, you know, it actually gives you something to do. But it's not really doing that much. And the same as, you know, looking at the thoughts, just like, like uh, activity on a screen. And you're sitting back, it's not you, you've got space between the observer and these thoughts and fantasies and dreams. That gives you, again, something to do. So it's not Rolls-Royce, it's actually agitating your leg. But you feel good about it. You feel you're making some sort of progress. For those of you who are impatient, which is most of you, that's the best you can do. Do a little shopping bag simile. Or do a, a uh, imagine yourself in a chair and you're watching these things on the screen. Or if you really, really, really want to do some things, then just you know, do that um, Namo Buddhaya technique which I was teaching people over the last year. You know, it's called substitution by the Buddha, you know, to try and stop the distracting thoughts. You know, put another thought in. But that's really just not the best method. The best method is just to be patient. And I know that works because why it works. But if you really want to, you can do a substitution. And Namo Buddhaya is a bit hard work, so only do it at the beginning, otherwise you'll never get peaceful. You say to yourself, Namo Buddhaya, Namo Buddhaya, Namo Buddhaya. Namo Buddhaya is a greeting they use in Indonesia instead of Amitofu. The Theravadans developed that one. But it's five syllables which I find the best for this method. Namo Buddhaya, Namo Buddhaya. You recite it yourself for about one minute. So don't go on too long, and then you start putting spaces between the na, mo, bud, da, yeah. 
No. And in those spaces, you know, you're silent. You extend the spaces. Na, mo, but, da, yeah. Na. You make them longer and longer and longer. If a thought comes in, you close up those spaces. As you relax more, you can extend the spaces until there's hardly any syllables, it's just spaces. It's a skillful means of doing very little, but thinking you're actually making progress. What it really means is you've got something which is much more simple than just all these thoughts and fantasies, plans and memories. And it also gives you an opportunity to experience the spaces between the words, the silent mind, which is really, really beautiful. The other way which people can do, actually I must admit that this is how I usually start, just you know, feeling the body first of all, the sensations in the body. Because when you're feeling sensations in the body, you can't think so much. The sensations in the body are imminent, they're right here in the present moment. It's amazing, the sensations in the body, whether it's pleasure or pain, they don't really leave much residue. There's always present moment stuff with the feelings in the body. And because I'm getting old, and because you know, you're getting a bit uh, stiff, whenever I meditate, you've always got aches and pains somewhere. There's a sense of, of not being free from the tightness, attention of an aging body. So I just become aware of those feelings when I first sit down. This is one of the advantages of being old. You've got a very good meditation object which comes up straight away, which is in the present moment. Pain. Aches. So you're just with that. And it really is just being with it, not trying to get rid of it. That's the difficulty with people. They're always trying to control things. Trying to control their mind, trying to control their breath, trying to control their body, trying to control their pain. The most important thing is if you do this meditation, please don't control anything. Your job is just to observe. Maybe that's because I was a scientist before. I learned how to observe things rather than try to control them. To learn from things rather than to make them into what I want. So learning, being passive, observing, being with things. So I was with my pain, with the aches, with the difficulties in the body. And when you're with them, it's amazing. Number one, you are not doing anything. So you're calming down your lake. The waves are getting less and less. It's a beautiful object to watch because after a little while, the pains get less. They settle down and then they disappear. When you don't do anything, the waves get less. Even the aches and pains in the body are no more than agitations of your mind. Which is why when my mind settles down, hey, the pain in my knee's gone. Incredible thing, we think that the pain is real. It's just a restless mind. When your mind is peaceful and still, pain vanishes. Weird, but I've experienced that too many times to doubt it. So even aches and pains, just settle in with it and it vanishes. Sometimes I've described it, trying to find as many similes as I can so that you know you can uh, imagine how to meditate rather than giving yourselves instructions like you read in an instructions book in a, when you get a new microwave or a new um, router or something. You know, just 
you know, have a sort of a video of the instructions, it's much better when you have an image of what's going on. And that image which I tried to develop was like, you know, present moment or just stopping thinking. It's just resting. And just using the idea you're going on a long walk somewhere and you're tired and you're hot and you're looking for some place to sit down. It's called the present moment, but the present moment is not nice. It's, I call it like this old cold, hard stone bench, which is lumpy, it's not even flat. And I imagine some of the stone benches I've sat on in my life, you know, just bites, you know, cuts into your flesh of your bottom, really cold, really hard. But that's all I've got to sit down on and rest, so that will do. Just like this present moment, whenever I stop and stay here, it's never pleasant at first. It's all I've got to rest. I'm not going to go off and seeking something else. This will do. But the thing with the stone bench, the longer you sit on it, the warmer it gets. And that's what happens with the present moment. The longer I stay here, yeah, at first it's not nice. You know, it's like, it's aching, I'm bored, it's just not working, I just know happiness, but stay there. Soon it warms up. And it's like this stone bench to uh, make the simile, which is not actually happens in real life, but you can imagine that all the bumps in the stone bench start to even out, become smooth, warm and smooth, and it, like it becomes soft, like it's upholstered. And then it's like one of these seats, you know, I sit on in business class, you press the button and this comes up and that comes down, and you have a really, really comfortable seat. And that's actually what the present moment becomes after a while. Just like a beautiful business class seat. And it starts off with something, you know, worse than economy on Aeroflot, which I've flown before. And this is what happens. So, what we need to do is just learn how to be here. And then just to watch it become more and more peaceful, more and more comfortable. So sometimes that's what I have to do. Or whatever it is, just to stay here long enough for the mind to settle down. It's the activity which creates the waves. And being able to stop, whatever it is, to stop, to stop, stop, it gets more and more peaceful. Even sometimes at the end of a meditation you think you've got nowhere. If any of you have been with me at Nolamara, whenever I give guided meditations, you always see me or hear me at the end of the meditation asking people, how do you feel at the end of a meditation? Now please, if you want to develop your meditation to have success, please incorporate that last two or three minutes of asking yourself how you feel and being aware of how you have changed from when you started. And the reason I developed that was and I almost lost my way as a meditator so many years ago. I can't remember exactly when, but I do remember being in some coffee shop somewhere in the world. I don't even remember what country it was in. And just, you know, when I was really young, and having a cup of coffee and sitting opposite this French guy, and we were just talking about all sorts of things, and I mentioned that I used, I said I used to meditate, but I don't meditate much these days. And he said, why? I said, oh, I just, it's not working, not getting anything out of it. And that was me. I must have stopped being a meditator, would have not been a monk. 
And then he gave me this beautiful piece of advice, which, you know, one of the reasons why I'm here today. He was, he said, your meditation is good, but you're not really looking at it to find out. It was so true, I'd meditate, and then I'd just get up afterwards and just go and do something. I wouldn't realize that every meditation, even the bad ones, I was a little bit more peaceful than when I started. So I started watching the end of my meditations. That was the most important part. One minute, two minutes before I came out. So how do I feel now? Has there been any progress? Do I feel more peaceful, more relaxed than when I started? And to my surprise, now I was always more peaceful than when I started. I was always more relaxed than when I started. Now not much, but there was certainly something happening. Now I know why, it's because the very least, you've got your eyes closed, you're sitting reasonably still, you are doing far less when you're on your cushion and on your seat than in any other time of the day probably. Because you are doing less, you will calm down. So you're getting somewhere. And all that did was to give me some incentive. I became motivated. Actually, it's working after all. And I enjoyed that peace at the end of every meditation. And enjoying that peace was actually valuing. This was really worthwhile. Yeah, I've got a long way to go, but it's worthwhile and it's working. And that made me just meditate more and more until you can meditate so easily these days. You know exactly what to do and how it works. So when you understand this, hopefully I'm getting the, I probably won't get the message across because you have to keep brainwashing people again and again, but I've got three months to brainwash you all, to get you into seeing this and experiencing it. Just get the paradigm right, just the overview of what meditation is. And hopefully I'll just stop you doing stupid things like trying and struggling and doing stuff. Now your job literally is to just be there and just watch, be mindful and interfere as little as you possibly can and be patient. Maybe that's your difficulty. People aren't patient enough. You know, they think after an hour they can get to deep meditation. No, it takes years. It's worthwhile doing. What else do you want to do with your life? What else is worthwhile than peace of mind, stillness, the old Magapala, stream winning, enlightenment? What else is worth doing in life? Here it takes a while, but it's worth it. And the best part of it, now hopefully you can see it from, from monks like myself, it's tough at the beginning. That first stone bench is, is uncomfortable. But you keep on at this. You persevere. And it gets softer and more beautiful and happier and happier and happier and happier. As I usually say to young monks, those of you who are doing your first range retreat at Bodhinyana Monastery or even at Dharmasala, this will be the worst range retreat of your life. Because next year it will be better. And the year after that, better again. And the year after that, even better. It just gets better and better all the time. That's just what happens. It's just the nature of this path. And it creates more peace, more happiness, more wisdom, more sense of freedom. 
everything you could ever wish for, it gets better and better and better. So this is the worst one. The next year will be much better. And the year after that, better. The year after that, better, 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 all the way. So there's nothing nice to look forward to. So enjoy a little bit, first of all. So the first week of the rage retreat will be your worst. The next one will be better. By the end of the rage retreat, if you follow the instructions and stop doing what you think is right, then you find out by the end of the retreat you're blissing out. Why? Because the causes have been put in place. This thinking, restless mind, it's nothing to do with you, it's nature. So don't take it personally. Don't think, I can't do meditation. If you think, I can't do meditation, as I said in public, I said this last week somewhere, I put my hand up and said, Ajahn Brahm can't meditate for his life. And now, you know, you know the answer to that little weird question. I said, I cannot meditate. And all I said was, I have to get out of the way, first of all, to let meditation happen. I can't do it. Now, I'd have to disappear and stop doing things. And then meditation just works. You're sitting there and it gets all peaceful and kind and and joyful, and you have a wonderful time, and aching knees vanish, and oh, just half an hour or an hour without any pain in that part of my body, and where's it gone? And come out of meditation, a couple of minutes later it comes back again, but you're free for a while. So brilliant. Any of those, any of you have got old age problems, that's the only way you can get out of those problems. That's what the Buddha used to say, the only time he was when he was an old monk, the only time he had any peace from his body was when he was in deep meditation. And you know that, and it's just a wonderful asset to have in your life, to be able to overcome any ache, pain, even any agony, just by learning how to just be still, and allow the mind to be peaceful, and allow all those things to vanish. Because the pain is just agitation of the mind, nothing more. It's not a bodily thing, it's a mental thing. Okay, that's a bit weird, you may think, but that's how it works. So this is actually how you can develop your meditation for the next uh, three months. Please put the hours in. Walking, sitting, lying down meditation. Well, lying down meditation, because some of you got old aching bodies just like me. Please never meditate in the same position you normally go to sleep in. And please put your pillow away when you do laying down meditation and your blankets off. Because otherwise, you know, you, just your mind gets confused. It doesn't know what to do. Does she want me to sleep? Does she want me to meditate? And if you put your body in a different position, when I do my lying down meditations on my back, because I just don't go to sleep on my back. You know, I just go to sleep on my sides usually. So I lay down on my back, and then just my, body, my brain realizes this is not sleep time. So I can be mindful, just body really relaxed and just watching your your mind being still. Breath comes up, all those stuff, they come up by themselves. If any of you wonder, where does the breath come into this meditation? It comes when it's ready, you don't go looking for it. It's just part of the whole process which I'll explain later on. But for the time being I just want you to have mindfulness enough and the joy, the happiness when you're joyful and happiness, you know, I'm really pleased that there's a monk who just wants to stay by themselves because they're totally content just meditating in their, in their room, watching this moment. 
their stone bench is now comfortable, so they meditate really, really well. And they know just exactly what to do. All the pains are just waves on the surface of their agitated mind. All these thoughts, the past and the future, they're just more waves on this, on this lake. Their job is not to control the lake. Their job is just to make sure there's no winds make any more waves. And of course all those winds are what I call the winds of wanting, controlling, doing things. Okay, this, my mind is restless now, I've got to stop it being restless. And so you actually do something to stop it being restless and it never works instead of just letting it be restless and just waiting and waiting and waiting until it calms down. And the more it calms down, the more mindfulness you get. You can see what's going on. It's easier to let go of the causes of restlessness. And just you become very peaceful and still and enjoy wonderful meditation. It's just letting go. Or rather, I did make a point to someone today. Instead of calling it letting go, call it letting be. Because even letting go is a bit negative. Letting go is something which, you know, you're almost doing something. These days they say you never sack a person. You know, when you, you employ someone and say, I have to let you go. See how Buddhism is coming into modern business practice? But that's sacking. It's just, you know, it's just a word you use to make it sound nice, but it's not nice. You know, you're sacking a person, throwing them out. So even actually taking off that slight little bit of negativity of letting go, call it letting be. It's much better. I just let things be. So my restless mind, I let it be. My tired brain, I just let it be. Just like the sloth and torpor. That's the other wonderful thing which. I discovered by a lot of pain, a lot of frustration for so many years, I was tired. And you all know why. I was in, it was in a jungle. I wasn't made for jungles. <laughs> and it was really tiring and hot and humid. And I, I realized this because I was doing visas for people and we were always trying to find a place to stay in Bangkok. And this time we find that we were invited to stay in Wat Bawan. That was a Dhamma Yut monastery, Rumahani Kai. But they said, no, no, you're Western monks. You can come and stay in this new building for visiting monks. And so not only was it just really nice and comfortable with showers, which didn't have bugs all over the place, <laughs> but it also had this air-conditioned room. And I, you know, you hadn't seen air conditioning for, for years. I'm not joking, literally years. And you know, the, I think somebody enterprisingly said, can we borrow the, get the key to meditate early in the morning before arms round? And we got the key and we turned on the air con and meditated at 3.30 in the morning until about 5.30. And it was amazing. No sloth and torpor at all. You can meditate there, you know, just after four and a half hours sleep perfectly clear and I just realized it was just a physical thing just you know the heat of the forest you know was just oppressing your brain your brain didn't work at that temperature and that was this one little indication there that any sloth and torpor it's nothing to do with me it's just nature so i trying to fight that with force and thinking I am strong enough I have enough willpower I'm going to be this tough guy I'm going to beat down sloth and torpor it's just like trying to you know, King Canute trying to turn the tide back 
or someone you know, wishing that you know, the weather is going to warm up quickly because you're too cold. It's just nature. You can't fight nature. You've got to let nature be. Let your mind be. You know, you all heard that there's nobody in here and controlling. Not me, not mine, not a self. These five candors which make you up, they're not yours. So just let them be. That's what the Buddha said. And the crazy thing is, it works. <laughs> surprise, surprise. You're just sitting there with your sloth and torpor. Okay, let it be. I give up. And then sloth and torpor vanishes. I've seen that so many times in my own mind. And the reason is because sloth and torpor is low energy. And fighting just wastes energy. So instead of fighting the sloth and torpor, I let it be. Which means I'm not doing anything. I'm not fighting. I'm not wasting energy. And the little energy I have starts going into mindfulness, into awareness. Your awareness gets brighter, which is the opposite of sloth and torpor. The dullness vanishes. You're awake, alert, and peaceful too. So that's what happens when you, know, you just let sloth and torpor be. It's very easy to see that with sloth and torpor. So experiment, monks, nuns, lay people, experiment with sloth and torpor. Just sit there and let it be. Let your shoulders slump. Let your head sort of go down. Let you sort of go backwards and forwards. I don't care. Just let it be and see what happens. If you really let it be, you'll find you wake up. That's teaching you something. Insight, energy, awareness. The hindrance is overcome by letting things be, not by fighting it. Now try that with your restlessness. Let it be. Same thing. You'll find your mindfulness increases. You know, you see what's going on. You wake up again. Restlessness is also dull state of mind. Actually, somebody said this years ago. They said that restlessness is low energy. It's not high energy. High energy is you're so aware, so bright. You just you can stop it so easily. Just let it go, or rather, let it be and just. Don't interfere with it. And it just settles down by itself. They are like waves on the lake. When I see those waves on the lake, how am I going to settle that lake down? Certainly not by patting the tops of the waves down. Or trying to put my arm in smoothing out the surface of the water. That just makes more waves. i just got to protect that lake. Shh, let it be. Calm it down. Shh. And it might get peaceful. <laughs> and all the thoughts. The thoughts aren't the problem. They're the symptom, okay? They're not the cause. The symptom of a mind which is agitated. So don't look upon them as... If you look upon them as the, the problem, you'll just never be able to solve that problem. Because you're looking in the wrong place. The thoughts aren't the problem. The sloth and torpor is not the problem. Look what the cause is causes low energy. So be still. Be peaceful. Conserve the energy. And then you'll find the thoughts got no power over you. Your mind becomes bright, energized, 
And again, the sign of the energized mind is pity sukha. You're happy. Depressed people, you've got no energy at all. They're dull. And that's you can understand the depression of three months of meditation. If you do it wrong. So just let things be. And you'll find your awareness comes stronger and stronger and your meditation starts to take off and everything about the retreat just becomes so easy and so beautiful. Looking at the stars at night, they blow your mind. Beautiful stars in Australia. So clear. There's the forest, the kangaroos. Just the food, the beautiful people who come and feed us every day. And your companions on this retreat. Everything just makes you just so happy you have the time of your life. When you just let things be and allow your energies to come up. They're not going to come up immediately. You cultivate meditation like you cultivate plants. You feed them stillness, letting be, compassion. And you wait and wait and wait. You all know you have to be so patient to grow to grow a tree. But you know it grows, and you know that trying to give it force, high-powered fertilizer just burns it and kills it. You can't force these things. You've got to nurture them. So please nurture your body and mind during this retreat. Let it be. Be still. Be kind. And you'll find that the mind just, the thoughts which are again the symptoms, not the cause. The pain is the symptoms, not the cause. The cause is always doing things, agitation. When things get still, all those waves get so peaceful. Just not there anymore. Then you're, you're having a great old time. So that's just a little bit of advice for the beginning of this retreat. Getting the framework right. Getting the, the picture right. The lake with waves on the surface. The thoughts, they're not the problem. They're the symptoms of agitation, of not letting things slow down and rest by themselves. Just like when you park the car, the engine's hot. You can't just will the engine to be cool. If you pour a bucket of water over the engine, you probably crack everything. you just got to wait for the engine to get cooler and cooler and cooler. If you've been running around, it's a hot engine. Just wait, it'll cool off. That's the best you can do. Be patient. That's the talk for today. Thank you.